Welcome to the Journey to the Stone podcast. Today, we talk about one of the world's most loved gems and one of the fastest growing gems in the world market today. It is also one of the rarest, but also one of the biggest in-demand, crazy loved gemstones out there. When it comes to color, Pariba Tourmaline has taken the world by storm. There is nothing like it. It is a very rare species of tourmaline and has excited people at all levels of the gemstone world, whether it's enthusiasts, collectors, auction sales, you know, museum showcasings, Pariba Tourmaline, when people see it, people love it and people want it. So let me take you back to 1988, 1989, where this gem was originally discovered in the state of Pariba in Brazil. This particular discovery was discovered back in the day. It was not known at the time. It was actually quite interesting because when the stone was brought in 1990 to the Tucson Gem Show, the first stones of Pariba that were coming out of the state of Brazil, or the state of Pariba in Brazil, actually were being sold at the Tucson Gems at the Tucson Gem Show for like $200 a carat. The same stones today have now resurfaced and are selling. I mean, that was selling for $200 is now selling for $50. 50,000 a carat. And I want to sort of talk to you about the trajectile and exactly how this happened with the Brazilian Pariba tourmaline of the day. So the discovery was in the late eight, you know, 1980s. And then it sort of came into the U.S. market in the 90s. And it caught popularity relatively quick because of its amazing color. So it started in around $200, $300 a carat. It was trading at the wholesale level. It quickly went in the 90s in grew up to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 a carat because the demand was so strong, but the supply was so limited and therefore prices soared. As you went into the early 2000 periods, you know, you basically saw an exponential demand for this gemstone. People started seeing it. People started talking about it. People just wanted more and more Brazilian Pariba. And then going into 2000, this gem soared up to over five digits per carat. So that's ex- that's a significant jump to be discovered in, you know, 89, 90 and go through only like 10, 15 years and already have gone up from hundreds of carats a hundred, hundred or two hundred per carat, up to over ten, you know, five, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand a carat. So prices significantly increased. It was something that really the world had never seen before. Boom. Here I am. Now, I this was a little bit early for me because the discovery was in Brazil. I, at that time, was very young. I was a young teenager. There I was in Thailand. I heard all about this stone. I went to the Tucson Gem Show when I was 16 years old, and I saw it there. But I didn't really have access to Brazil at the time because I was still a teenager, right? So I was doing most of my work still gem hunting, but hunting in Southeast Asia. So I didn't really get access to the big boom. And I couldn't really capitalize financially on the growth of the Brazilian Pariva tourmaline. 
Not until much later when I was able to get into Tiflatoni, go to Belo Horizonte, cross over into the state of, you know, Pariba in Brazil and get to know the miners there. And that's a different story for another time. But boom, year 2000, here we are. Now we're in the African plains here and there's crazy stuff happening. The discoveries in Tanzania, the discoveries in Nigeria, the discoveries in Mozambique. It is like the Wild West in Africa. It is crazy. Nobody Nobody's ever seen anything like it. You know, in other podcasts, you'll hear me talk about my journeys going into Sri Lanka, into Burma, into other places that I went prior to going into Africa at the end of 19, you know, the end of the 90s, going into the early 2000s. But here we were. There was a purple stone, a tourmaline variety discovered in the Oyo region of Nigeria. Nobody knew what it was. It was new days. It was early discoveries. It was something different. Well, guess what? I knew exactly what it was. I knew that this material, because I immediately checked the copper concentration in the crystal structure, and I knew, wow, Mother Nature placed one of the rarest geological phenomenons Ever, she had placed it in Nigeria. Then I looked at the map. If you look at the map of Pangaea, basically when the world was one supercontinent, you will see that if you put that map back together, that the geological trailer, actually, you'll see that the state of Pariba in Brazil directly connects with Oyo, Nigeria. So they were actually one part together in the supercontinent. And as the different continents drifted away, that geological vein was separated into two different locales, Brazil and Africa. But geologically, it was the same geological structure. And you can see that when you put the supercontinent back together, what's known as Pangaea. So I knew immediately that we had basically hit something that nobody had ever seen before. I bought everything I could, typical, you know, my style, bought what I could, took it back to home base at that time in Thailand and basically held on to these stones and sold them into the market, selling them to wholesalers and dealers. And it was just really quite remarkable that, you know, thing. But there was not a lot of the material that came out of Nigeria. It wasn't enough at that time to really make a big, huge bang in the whole world market, because we're still talking about very limited quantities. You know, you know, you'd go to Nigeria and pick up 10, 12, 15 pieces, but there wasn't the volume that could really grab the world market interest. Most people thought Nigerian stones were Brazilian stones. They actually, at that time, the education was more about, wow, these stones are primarily from, you know, they're from Brazil. They're from the state of, you know, the state of Peru. And actually my largest market that I was selling these to were the Brazilians. The Brazilians were buying the Nigerian Paribas and taking them back to Brazil and actually selling them. And that's the way it was. Then, boom, something happened. 2003, here we are, Mozambique. Now, I was actually on Mozambique on a routine trip, you know, about an hour and a half out of Nampula. And I was looking for aquamarine, a little bit of tourmaline that was discovered in that area, as well as some precious stones, you know, sapphire, ruby, et cetera, that we find in that area. And there's these guys pan mining in the river and the guy pulls out a stone and he pulls out a stone. He has no idea what this is. He sees it's purple. He thinks maybe it's amethyst. They have no idea, right? The miners. And there I am looking 
looking at this stone and I know exactly what it is. Now, what's interesting about this type of material that was different was that this material wasn't from a primary source. You see, if you look at paribas that come from Brazil, they grow in the marble host rock. So you can see them growing in the actual host rock in their crystals that are formed in that host rock because it's a primary source. And if you go to Nigeria, you'll see it is also a primary source where these particular paribas are also growing in the host rock, very similar to their counterpart in Brazil. And here comes Mozambique. Beak. They're water worn. You know what water worn is? Water worn is basically okay. If you take a Coke bottle that breaks, for example, if you ever seen a broken Coke bottle on the beach and you know it's been you know running around in uh, you know in the sand and it gets water worn, you know the sharpness of the edges get worn off. It sort of becomes rounded. The same happens with gems that have been transported from other locales. So let's say the actual primary source is actually from let's say. Um, let's say three, four hundred miles away, and these gems have rolled on the bottom of the ocean bed, and they basically have been transported to what's known as one location where there was a big crevice. And because gems are more dense than actually uh, water, they fall into this crevice only to be discovered, you know, thousands and thousands of years later. So here we got this guy who pulls out this purple stone, and I'm like, okay, this is different. I'm looking at it, and of course, I stay in Mozambique for several weeks to find out more. Then I find a green one. Then we find another purple one, and then we just, the raid is on. So we're looking for these rare tourmalines. I literally went to Mozambique 40 times that year and bought every Mozambican Pariba I could get my hands on. Now, what was interesting about this deposit is when it came out, it came out with a little bit of quantity, right? So the Brazilians immediately threw a wobbly here. I remember when the Brazilians, they filed legal cases against this gem being able to be called Pariba Tourmaline from Brazil because Pariba is a state in Brazil because they felt threatened that their Paribas would diminish in value. And I understood the concept of that. And eventually it went to court. It went up to the, you know, the, the higher court. It was appealed to the Supreme Court. And ultimately the judge said, look, it looks like a duck. It quacks like a duck, most likely it's a duck. And then all of a sudden, all the labs in the world started shifting their, you know, their descriptions on their certificates from copper bearing tourmaline to cuprian tourmaline, then to everybody just calls it basically Pariba tourmaline. And that's what it basically is, regardless of its locale, whether it's Nigeria, Mozambique, or Brazil. Now, Brazilian Paribas can demand huge premiums because a lot of people want a Brazilian stone. And a lot of times the Brazilian stones have a higher copper content, you know, like 900, 1200, you know, copper content, which a lot of times could be blue, but they're also more included in most cases. But look, I've seen these kind of colors found in all of the locales. And, you know, different people have different preference, you know, I mean, beautiful, perfectly clean, top gem quality Mozambique Paribas will blow your head off. I mean, it is unbelievable. And to be honest, I've seen it with 12 to 1400 copper content as high and even higher than most Brazilian stones. So it really 
really depends. And Mother Nature works in mysterious ways. Sure, there's certain things in certain areas, but the Pariba tourmaline, even today, now I take you back. I bought all this rough in Mozambique when these stones came out. To date, I have sold probably 75% of all my rough to the Brazilian market. The Brazilians are the biggest buyers of Pariba in the world. They also sell it in the US and across the world, but it is one of the best selling gems within you know, Brazil itself because it's a national pride gem and there is no more real Brazilian Pariba of any size. Now, Mozambique produces, produce some larger sizes and also produce something that no one had ever seen before perfectly flawless Pariba. Now, it's very rare. It's only one in maybe 100,000 Paribas that is perfectly, perfectly clean. I mean, flawless. It is very, very uncommon, but it does happen occasionally out of Mozambique and Nigeria. Almost impossible to see anything like that out of Brazil. I mean, stones have soared to a quarter of a million dollars a carat if they have even a fraction of clarity coming out of Brazil, surpassing the two, three carat size. They go crazy prices with crazy numbers, and it's just something we just don't see a lot of. And in current in current mining today, if you go look at what they're mining in Brazil, the majority will be one pointer, two pointer diamond cuts. That's what they focus on. On good colors, but very small, brilliant diamond cuts. So when you see Paribas that are big or clean or have nice color, they are extremely rare. The majority of Paribas out there, if they have nice color, they are very very included. It's just the way it is. The higher the copper concentration and manganese concentration, the more included it is. Now, if you got a clean stone, that is something that is extremely rare. Now, let's talk about some notable stones in Paribas that basically Cap Florence has gotten throughout the years and stones that I have discovered throughout the years. So there's the 91 carat that currently is the largest Pariba to ever be sold at auction. That stone is flawless. It is a flawless Pariba tourmaline. It was set by Cap Florence. You'll see it in the shot all over the place with Sarah Jessica Parker. Amazing color. That stone, extremely rare. That was a 91 carat. There's a couple of, you know, 50 and 60 carats that really were like over 100 carat until Cat cut them down because Cat likes to put on that precision diamond cut when the stone is flawless and that is extremely extremely unique. I mean, only Cap Florence does that, but it is something that is distinct to what she does. But there's a, you know, there's a couple of Brazilian notable stones that she set, a 10 carat Brazilian that, you know, that type of material is 150, 200,000 a carat. So there are a lot of stones that have gone through the Cap Florence workshops that have been some of my most prized collection of Paribas throughout the years. Pariba is a gemstone that I sort of grew up with hunting in different places. And I held on to it and sold a lot of rough throughout the years and basically cherry picked out the fine goods, the stuff that had great color and good crystallization, or they were flawless and they were very open color and they've got that sparkle. You know, I tend to call it not only Pariba, I tend to call it Aquamiba. You know, when you get that color that's mid-range, but it absorbs light, it pops like you've never seen tomorrow. I mean, electric 
aquamarines can't compete. There's just something about the copper within the crystal structure. There's a metallic element that just give it, gives it its vibrancy that is something to die for. Pariba tourmaline being one of the most collected gems in the world. It'll be interesting to see how high and high and high these stones increase in value, but I mean, they have not stopped. So the same Pariba, if we take you back to 1989, that was trading at $200 a carat in current market today in the 90s was trading for over four digits a carat in year 2000 was over five digits a carat in current market today is over six digits a carat that is exponential growth you know you have growth in certain gem types like diamond goes up you know year on year a certain percentage pink diamond has gone up significantly like 800 percent over the last 20 odd years you know diamond has gone up you know like you know over i think four times in 20 odd years but pariba has gone up exponentially i mean pariba is the apple stock of the world so if you bought apple 30 years ago that's what pariba would be today right because prices have soared now if you own a pariba pat yourself on the back they're getting harder and harder to find with any good quality love it cherish it wait it out it's a stone that's only going up in value constantly and every level of quality, whether it's a Cap Florence piece or not, Paribas are hugely in demand and will always be in demand due to the supply. It's so limited. There's just not a lot out there. And there is so many people in the world that have heard about it, want it, and just can't get a natural stone.